This evening, I'd like to have you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And uh, lately, of course, since our study in, in Ecclesiastes, we've been taking about one, uh, two or three weeks per chapter. Tonight, we're going to do one chapter. And uh, it's an interesting topic, if you will. Uh, and we'll kind of focus our attention on the question that I want to ask about this topic. But the more I studied and dug deep into it, I, I began to realize that uh, there were some connections to a lot of the stuff that's going on today. And, um, you know, every day, it just, it, it amazes me how we learn something new about what is happening. And normally, it's not good. It's all, it's, it just seems like it just gets worse and worse in our country, primarily. Uh, the world, of course, is going to follow because really what we're aiming at is, is, a, is a global uh, conspiracy. But, uh, but what's happening in this country truly is so unprecedented that we, we're just not, I mean, we've had riots before. We've had problems before. They get solved and we go on. But these don't seem like they want to get resolved. But... Again, that's okay because we know the God who's in control. But we don't want to uh, assume anything. We, we want to always be sharp about what's going on in the world and be sharp with God's word to know how we are to live in the midst of this weirdness. I, I've called it insanity and really that there's no better word, I think, than that. So, with all of that's going on, consider the words of, of Solomon when he says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing, you know, that he lacks nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Now stop and think for just a moment that Solomon may just, in fact, be talking about himself. Of what we've learned already about this man who was given great wisdom because he asked for it from God, but then later on began to leave God and began to embrace the idols of his many wives and concubines. So consider, again, that thought. And then in verse 3 it says, If a man beget a hundred children, and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. An untimely birth, the Hebrew word means either a stillborn birth Or even worse, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. For he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. This is speaking of the stillborn, if you will. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor know, known anything. 
This hath more rest than the other. There's more rest in that stillborn than the one who has everything but doesn't enjoy it. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place. Don't they have the, really the same fate, if you will, which is the grave? As we mentioned time and time again, and I already have to some degree this evening, these are indeed perilous, fierce, dangerous times in which we're living. A world held hostage by the fears of a so-called global pandemic that is proving only to be an exercise in, in global conditioning and manipulation, which happened to be the handiwork of the enemy of our souls, Satan, in his preparing the unprepared masses for a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world monetary system, and a one-world leader. I mean, if we're going to get down to brass tacks, there it is. We've been told by the experts to heed the science during this pandemic. But true science isn't as flawed as what we've been getting by these experts. But the peril is raised now to a new level. Destructive riots, the looting and eventual burning down of businesses by Marxist anarchists, segments of cities being overtaken by social justice warriors who are positioning themselves, or so they think, for the complete destruction of the foundations of a nation that was founded for the most part on the principles of the Word of God. National landmarks, religious institutions, and the like are now targets of those who just simply know more than anyone else what is better for our nation. They know more. They're smarter than everyone who has gone before. And in this case, their complete destruction. Well, because of time, I've oversimplified the issues. But we should already be aware of the travesty that this all has become. Some of us, now getting back to a little bit more focus on on our text, but it still applies. Some of us can remember a time when, when we thought we knew more than those who brought us into this world and brought us up in it, namely our parents. When we tried to state our case before them by trying to show how smart we were in our handling of life's problems, a simple statement would burst our oh-so-high-and-mighty bubble. You know what the statement was? You don't know what's good for you. Of course, we'd argue that. But that was true. We didn't really know what was good for us. We thought we knew. We thought we were smarter than they. But we weren't. We hadn't trusted 
the source of our life and strength and had to learn the hard way that that others had gone before us in every issue, every situation and circumstance to point us in the right direction. So as we get into the text, here here was Solomon's self-portrait for us to examine. Having it all and not having the power to enjoy it. Having it all and, having, and not having the power to enjoy it. He thought he knew what was good for him. Having disregarded the counsel and life experiences of his father David, who knew from where and from whom his blessings had come. When you read Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28, notice the heart of David here. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. By the way, before we read on, these were things that David believed as a young man. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. Yes, David fell later in his life. But if you examine the life of David in Scripture from his birth to his death, you realize that God always honored David because David never bowed his knee to an idol. Sadly, his son did. And he bowed his knee to many idols. Sidney Harris, the columnist of many years ago, wrote these words. He said, The most miserable people I have known have not been those who suffered from catastrophes, which they could blame on fate or accident, but those who had everything they wanted except the power to enjoy it. Makes you wonder whether he knew the scriptures pretty well or not. You know, it was also Harris who said, men make counterfeit money. In many more cases, money makes counterfeit men. That's something to think about with everything that we've been learning about in, uh, in Ecclesiastes. But Solomon faced this mystery head on. Having all the resources for a satisfying life and not being able to enjoy them. Another mystery that he faced was laboring without satisfaction. And still another, contending with the giver of all good. All in all. He faced an unfulfilled life. Folks, keep that in mind. There are too many Christians today who by staying away from the Lord himself, by not praying, by not reading the scriptures, by not serving the Lord, by not using the gifts that they have, or if, we, if you will, so-called or nominal Christians, 
deal with the fact and wrestle with the fact that they are living an unfulfilled life. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, before I go on, let me just say this. So I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm teaching a message. Now I've got to preach a message. Now we're living in a time right now that we need to be awakened to doing the things that God has called us to do from the very beginning. We can forget what's beyond, you know, behind. We can forget all the things that maybe we regret having not done. But remember this, that we're told in the book of Lamentations that God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning God gives us a new opportunity. Every morning God gives us a new day to begin again with him. That we walk in faith. That we wait upon the Lord, that we run and not be weary, walk and not faint. So we, are, we should not ever even consider an unfulfilled life. But all in all, he, even Solomon faced this unfulfilled life, having reached certain goals and not feeling fulfilled in his achievement. Our text reveals the problem. It, the problem was where his heart was centered, or if it was centered at all. So three things that we want to look at tonight. The first thing, and again, I'll, I'll give you each one of these individually so you don't have to all write it down now. The tragedy of riches without enjoyment, that's the first six verses that we just read. The tragedy of riches without enjoyment. The second is the tragedy of labor without satisfaction, that's verses 7 through 9. And then there is the triumph, the triumph of surrendering to the giver of good. That's verses 10 through 12. So tonight we want to look first of all at the tragedy of riches without enjoyment. Give you a second to get that. And now in verse 1 it says this again. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. And it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth and honor. So that he wanteth nothing for his soul. Of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. But a stranger eateth it. It almost sounds like Solomon is... Blaming God. This is vanity. And it is an evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children. And live many years so that the days of his years be many. And his soul be not filled with good. And also that he hath no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he. As I said, an untimely birth, or like a stillborn, or, or even a miscarriage, is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything, that is, the untimely birth. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? Do not all have the same destination? 
which he's referring to death. It is important to note the contrast between the statement made by Solomon in chapter 5, verse 19, with verse 2. Verse 2 says, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he hath desired, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. Contrast that with verse 19 of the previous chapter where, where Solomon says, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So this verse speaks of enjoyment of what God has given. While verse 2 of our text in chapter 6 reflects the breakdown of this enjoyment. The breakdown. Here is the facing of reality. The person in chapter 5, verse 19, accepts a standard of living for which he has worked with contentment. Let me say that again. The person of chapter 5, verse 19, accepts a standard of living for which he has worked with contentment. He's enjoying the things that God has blessed him with. The person in chapter 6, verse 2, is more concerned with having everything they want, the Lord having allowed this, but the heart is centered on their accumulated wealth. And God then allows a stranger to take over this wealth. And so the tragedy then, the tragedy is to have all the resources for a satisfying life and not be able to enjoy them. Someone works hard all their life to enjoy retirement, only to suffer a heart attack or faces a family problem that drains both money and strength. I've seen it happen both ways to many people. No one can truly enjoy the gifts of God apart from the God who gives the gifts. Let me ask you a question. Does that make sense to you? May I say that again? No one can truly enjoy the gifts of God apart from the God who gives the gifts. That's why there are so many miserable people on earth. God blesses people, but they don't bless God back. To do anything less is idolatry, by the way. To do anything less is idolatry. It will never satisfy to enjoy the gift without the giver. Now, we're all familiar with the statement that we don't see written in Scripture anywhere except in one place where Paul had a conversation, if you will, with Jesus himself, after the resurrection, of course. When Jesus was instructing Paul in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, and Paul states in the book of Acts that Jesus said to him, it is better to give than to receive. It is better to give than to receive. So with that in mind, I mean, think about the fact that it'll, it, it never satisfies to enjoy the gift without the giver. God has given us so much, but it's better to give than to receive. To be a, joy, a joyful giver, even in our giving to the church, as we're told, in 1 Corinthians, 
We are to be a joyful giver unto God. So do money and social position really satisfy? Do money and social position really satisfy? Now some would probably say, well, I'd like to try it and see. (laughs) I'm not really sure you want to. It may reveal too much about your heart. Consider the tragic account of Christina Onassis. Anybody remember that name? That's an oldie but goodie here. Okay. The tragic account of Christina Onassis, the American-born Greek socialite and heiress to the Onassis fortune. And she died in 1988 at the age of 37. At the age of 37, she died. Commenting on her life, her stepsister Henrietta Gelber said this, She was one of those people who would never be happy. She would become impatient. It had all come too easily. All the money, houses all over the world, few real responsibilities. She lacked a sense of achievement. What she was striving for was virtually impossible in her situation. She had houses all over the world, but she never really had a home. That is a sad story. Think about Proverbs 15, 16, and 17. Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is. I like to interpret that as saying better is a dinner with just a plain little old salad from Wendy's. The side salad. With no dressing. And maybe not even a fork. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Getting back to our text, and considering verses 3 through 6, having many children... And a long life were looked upon by the Hebrews as a mark of God's favor and blessing. But neither of them guarantees a satisfying life. Please understand that. To the Israelites, to the Hebrews, to the Jewish children, or to the Jewish uh, people, having many children and a long life were looked upon as a mark of God's favor. 
But neither of those things guarantees a satisfying life. Now, Solomon does exaggerate to a point that no matter how much you possess, if you don't possess the power to enjoy it, better never to have been born. That is the use of that word for an untimely birth, which translates to a stillborn or a miscarriage. The tragedy here is, is being blessed doubly by the Lord and yet not having the capacity to enjoy children and long life and in the end, dying in poverty and being unloved. That's why it says, and also that he have no burial. Verse 3. That little phrase, you know what it means? In other words, he's not even lamented by the family. He's not even given a good funeral. He's not being given a good send-off from this life to wherever. I like those traditions where certain churches, they, they have a celebration of life for a person that has passed away. We always say, of course, that they are now with the Lord. But some of these traditions call it a homegoing celebration. A homegoing, they're going home. And that's because they knew the life of that person that was given to the Lord. Given and giving to the Lord. They lament the person's loss, but they celebrate the person's life. But there are those who would never even be celebrated. People might sit in the seats in a funeral home out of respect, let's say, for the family. But if they were going to be honest about the person that's lying either in a casket or in a urn, we'd all be amazed at what some people would say. We'd probably be amazed at what we would say. Some families just wait around for a person to die. Especially if, you know, we're talking about a very wealthy person. Some, some families just wait around for a person to die just, just to read the will. The misery of this life is contrasted by that stillborn child mentioned in verses 4 and 5 who is never given a name who never sees the light of day and never has to struggle in the arena of life. Its death reminds us that death awaits every man even if a person lives to be 2,000 years old. As it says, though he live a thousand years twice, that's 2,000 years to me. How significant then it is to know what the psalmist David knew we need to know what David knew. And what David knew was this, mentioned to us in Psalm 31, verses 14 through 17. 
David said, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. What David is saying is, I don't want to be silent in the grave. There's another psalm that he he talks about that as well. But what he's saying is, I don't want to be silent in the grave. So I know one thing, that when I die, though my body be placed into the ground or wherever it's going to be, who I am for eternity will praise you for eternity. Who I will be for eternity will praise you for eternity. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, in this body, in this life, in this existence that I have. And I'm going to talk about living an existence here in just a moment. But we all have it. We, all, we have all of those things. But I don't want to be ashamed and I don't want you to be ashamed. But me, let us not be ashamed before God. Let the wicked be ashamed. They're the ones forsaking God. But not me and not you. That is the tragedy of riches without enjoyment. What people are fighting for today. Does it look like they enjoy this? Of course, they're so far from God. They want to destroy the very understanding of who God is by thinking that they can destroy things by destroying monuments and churches and yeah, I mean, there's even a guy in one of these movements that are going around saying that, you know, we need to bring down, you know, any pictures of a white Jesus. You know. Really? Oh, you got to check history. He's not, he's not white. But you know, as I look around, none of us are either. Not one of us is. We're going to find that. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We're going to find that out in just a minute. Let's go on to the tragedy of labor without satisfaction. Verses 7 through 9. All the labor of man is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes that, than the wandering of the desire. This, this also, vanity and vexation of spirit. Let me, let me clarify very quickly what these three verses mean. All the labor of man is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not full for, or filled. For what has the wise more than the fool? In other words, there's no advantage over the fool. Because you have money, there's no advantage over, over the fool. Or just because you have some wisdom, 
You don't have an advantage over the fool. And then you look at verse 9, it says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire, which just means very simply, what you have before you is what you ought to look at. Better is the sight of the eyes, what you have before you. It may not be a lot, but it's something, isn't it? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. Just well, I, I, I see what I see, but I, I want something else. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. So here's another frustration that Solomon is telling us about. Man has to work to live, but has a greedy, insatiable appetite for more. I mean, this is common to both the wise and the foolish, the rich and the poor. The question could be asked, why do we eat? We eat that we might add years to our lives. I bet you didn't think I was going to answer that way. Right? But isn't that why we eat? Because if we don't eat, we're going to die. We eat that we might add years to our lives. But what good is it to add years to our life and not add life to our years? The difference is between living and existing. Living and existing. On a very basic level, we are existing. Physically, we have heartbeats, I hope. You might want to check before we go out tonight. But existing is not living. Living takes us to a different level, a different plane. To live with meaning. To live with purpose that God himself has given to us. Because let's face it, he created us different than he created every living thing on this earth. Different than every other living thing on this earth. And yet what is man trying to convince you? What is quote unquote science trying to convince you today? That we all came from that single cell creature? And we evolved over billions of years? Those scientists end up at the very end of their lives saying, we have no meaning. We have no purpose. The answer to both of those questions in verse 8, let's look at them. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? The answer to both questions in verse 8 is nothing. That's the answer. What hath the wise more than the fool? Nothing. What has the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Nothing. If you live only to satisfy your appetite, then the wise man has no advantage over the fool, and the poor has no advantage in trying to be better uh, or in trying to better his situation by, by learning to get along with the rich. It still comes back to a heart problem. It still comes back to wherever the heart is centered. Verse 9 teaches us 
that it is better to have the little that we have and be content with that than to dream about much and never attain it. And man, I know a lot of people that live that way. They dream. They, they are gonna, they're, one day they're going to strike it rich. They're going to get that. You know, they drive by that billboard that tells you about the make a, the Powerball or whatever. And they, they're, 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 one day I'm, it's going to be mine. The stars are going to align. And then all will be mine. Our ambitions. Our ambitions as believers in Jesus Christ. Our ambitions are to be motivated by the glory of God and not the praise of men. Because when you think about it, a lot of the reasons why some people want to have a lot is because they get to flaunt it. Want to keep up with the Joneses, as they used to say. All due respect to anybody named Jones here. True satisfaction comes when we do the will of God from the heart. And when we are content in whatever state we're in. Remember we've talked about that in Philippians chapter 4. Paul saying, I'm, I'm content in whatever state I'm in. I've learned how to abase and I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to have nothing I've learned how to have plenty. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Consider what Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. He says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Whoever you serve, that's fine, serve them, but you're serving them as unto Jesus Christ. And then he says, Not with eye service or as men pleasers, because what he's saying is, don't do it just because you're, you know, they're watching you. And then when they're not watching you anymore, you go, yeah. <laughs> But as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Why? Because God's watching you. Because God is with you. Because His Spirit is in you. With goodwill doing service. As to the Lord and not to men. Wouldn't businesses be so much better if true Christians were really living as Christians in their workplace? Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them. Forbearing, threatening. Put threatening aside. Don't threaten your brother in Christ who's working for you. Knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Now that fits here because there's no respect of person. Whether you're poor or rich, man, you're going to the same place when this life is over. Jesus in John chapter 4 verse 34 said... 
my meat, my food, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now think, this is, this is the Lord. This is Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son in the flesh, who tells us, I have a purpose. And I'm going to fulfill that purpose to the glory of my Father in heaven. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Do you know why he says that? Because he wants that to be our purpose. With everything that God has given us, we are to do the will of him that sent us and made us and has fashioned us in the image of Christ and to finish his work. Amen? Oh, that was sad. I'm sorry, they didn't say amen very well. So, amen? Amen. Okay. Ah, Sorry to wake you all up. I I mean, it's almost time to go, so I just want to kind of prepare you. Open your eyes. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's go on to the third point, the triumph of surrendering to the giver of good. Ecclesiastes 6, verses 10 through 12, that which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. Ah, I told you what color we are, not. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? So here is a question that you need to ponder. Can every question about life be answered? Just think about it. Don't answer it. Just think about the question. Can every question about life be answered? You know, some people require answers to all of life's questions, and yet they remain skeptical and unbelieving. Isn't that interesting? For most of us, our ignorance has encouraged us to have faith in God. As somebody once put it, we don't live on expectations, we live on promises. But even some explanations don't solve every problem. But if you will, look at the life of Job for a minute. Job, J-O-B. He argued with God. And demanded an explanation for his predicament. Let's face it, he did what some of us want to do too. Argue with God. Demand an explanation for the predicament that I'm in. Do you know that God never did answer his questions? God never answered Job's questions. And I mean, God didn't go, "Eh, I'm not going to do it. He didn't do it that way. No. See, here's the thing. What we need to understand 
intellectual knowledge does not guarantee healing of the heart. Intellectual knowledge does not guarantee the healing of the heart. Only when we put our faith in God's promises will that come. And Job had to come to that point where he put his faith and trust in the promises of God. Which he had been blinded by his own pursuit of knowledge rather than in surrendering what he had already promised he would surrender. That though he die, he would still see his Redeemer who liveth. So here's our question. Do we know what's good for us? Do we know what's good for us? Remember that we are man. Adam. That is the Hebrew word. Adam. We are man. We are of the earth. And by the way, the word Adam comes from the word in Hebrew that means red earth. So that's our color. We're red. I know the Redskins fans are really getting excited over here. We're men, man, mankind. One color. I said recently, last week sometime, I don't see black and white. I don't see brown. I don't see olive. I see one color. The red that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that has been put upon every believer as in Passover. Every believer that is covered with the blood of Jesus. That's the color we see. But isn't it interesting? It brings us back to what we were when we came into this life. Men and women, mankind of the earth as God created us out of. We came from the earth and we will return to the earth. Remember that God has given us the freedom to act. We're not robots. Thank God. In, in, in the near future, you know, when I get back to dealing with the, the deep and deeper and deepest state, we're going to talk about artificial intelligence that today is happening in our midst, making robots of people. Well, that's to come. I'd rather that Jesus come first, but okay. All right. So God's given us the freedom to act. But we are not free to change the consequences. Understand that. So choose to follow after and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our true reality. He is the true reality. There is no other reality better than Jesus Christ. You talk about all these reality TV programs and stuff. 
Oh my God, there's no, nothing real about it. The Bachelor, Survivor. And then, you know, it's all made up. It's all played out. How could it be real? And still fit in an hour slot? No, the only reality is Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, verse 20, this, this clarifies it. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. Know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God. And eternal life. Jesus. Jesus Christ and Him alone. And let's not forget the importance of what Jesus said of himself. What did Jesus say of himself? You all know it, John 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Remember that we cannot oppose God and win. We cannot oppose God and be victorious. So what is it that we as believers need to do? Very simple. Fewer words, more actions. Fewer words, more actions. We need to use words. We need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to encourage the, the downtrodden. We need to encourage the, the person who needs to be lifted up. We need to bring people to the understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That's fine. But, we, but when it comes to our lives, we need to have fewer words and more actions. We need to be doing the things that God has called us to do. And so, I keep looking. I've got a lot more to say. Okay. Don't worry. Don't look back at the clock. Remember Lot's wife. All right. James 1 verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness, humility, the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word. And not here is only deceiving your own selves. Remember that God knows what's good for us all the time. God knows what's good for us all the time. Take time to listen to what he has to say. Because in 1 John 2.17 it says the world passes away. And the lust thereof. The lust of the world are going to pass away. But he that doeth, doeth doeth the will of God, abideth forever. Well, that should encourage us to do the will of God because we will abide forever. Remember to trust the future to him who has seen the beginning from the end and make the best use of every opportunity, especially the present opportunities that God has given to us. Life is God's gift to us, amen? Life is God's gift to us. Ellen Meisberger writes this, and listen carefully, it's, it's a long statement, but 
But I think you need to listen to it. We may have heard it in a different form or another, but listen to what she said. She said, money can buy a bed, but not sleep. A hammer, but not a carpenter. Things, but not friends. A toy, but not a child's happiness. A pen and paper, but not an author. A pencil, but not an idea. A house, but not a home. An agreement, but not peace. Paints, but not an artist. Eyeglasses, but not eyesight. A chair, but not rest. A computer, but not wisdom. A school, but not students. Death, but not life. A flag, but not patriotism. A gun, but not a soldier. A book, but not knowledge. A machine, but not a skill. A desk, but not a teacher. A name, but not a man. A church, but not a religion. An altar, but not salvation. And a cross, but not a savior. Money can buy a lot of things, but it doesn't buy what we need. And most importantly, we need salvation in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, and I'll close with this now. Paul said, and I, brethren, when I came to you. Now, Corinth was a place of, of, of a lot of philosophical uh, thought, a lot of philosophical teachings and schools. And, and Paul, yeah, he could, he could stay up with the, with the best of them. Just, just read the book of Acts, chapter 17. But nonetheless, listen to what he says. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you in Corinth, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. Why does he say that? Because he says, I don't want you to think of me coming and talking to you from a, from a level of philosophy. I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I want you to know. That's how I came. Not to know anything among you. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Just consider the life that, that Paul spent in moving from one place to another, doing what God had called him to do. And then he said, in my speech... And my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. It's not for debate here. But in demonstration of the spirit and power. And of power. And notice verse 5. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. But in the power of God. We can take everything that God has given us in this life. And we can use it for his glory. But our main desire is that even if I don't or we don't have anything, we still have everything in Jesus Christ. And we can live a fulfilled life. A fulfilled life. 
not measured by our pocketbooks, but measured by the work of Christ on the cross for us. Measured by the very work of Jesus rising from the dead and giving us newness in life through the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's live that way. That the world may see Christ in us, the hope of glory. No matter what the world wants to see. This is why we are light. And we are salt.